in my father's house, there's many rooms or many mansions. He said, if it wasn't so, I, I would have told you. But look what he said. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I'm going to do that, guess what that means? I'm going to come back and get you and take you home with me. Welcome to the Destined to Win podcast with pastor and teacher Tim Masters. Pastor Tim is the senior pastor of Victorious Life Christian Center in Flagstaff, Arizona. I'm Joe Harding, inviting you to join us for worship services Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. For more information on the ministries of Victorious Life Christian Centers or to make a donation, visit us online at vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Now with today's message, here's Pastor Tim Masters. If you have your notes, if you have your notes, open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes. And then when you, Ecclesiastes is back in the Old Testament, it's right after Proverbs. You got Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, so on and so forth. Ecclesiastes is one of the books of Solomon. And then when you get your finger there, I want you to immediately go to 1 Peter chapter 4 and just put your finger there because we're going to spend most of our time. You say, Pastor, why do we have to do that? We have the, the scriptures on the screen. Can I tell you how close I've come to just taking the scriptures off the screen? To, it sounds bad, but to make people use their Bibles. Folks, we need desperately to know what is in this book. We need desperately to know what is in this book? As you can see, I, I'm in my book a lot, so the pages fall out. I've always got to be careful to make sure I put them in the right place when I... Actually, this is not good. Okay, there we go, from there to there to there. Okay, Ecclesiastes. I'm starting a series today that we'll be talking about in the next few weeks. We're going to take a short little break uh, in the middle of it and then come back to it. Last year I was praying, and as I, I try to do is I try to get the mind of God for the year, for the year coming. God, which direction is our church going? Which direction do you have for our people? We don't haphazardly come up behind this pulpit and just figure, well, we've got 45 minutes or so to fill, so let's fill it with something. No, there's purpose that goes in to this. Why? Because God has a purpose for your life, and our job is to help you grow in that purpose. Aren't you glad that just showing up for church is not something you're just supposed to do? That there really is a reason for this? That when Jesus established the church 2,000 years ago, that there was really a purpose for you to be here? And so I was praying last year, and I was putting together this series that we were going to use this year. And we just finished a, a wonderful series that I titled First Things First. And uh, for five weeks, we've talked about keeping God, keeping his 
his plans and his pursuits and his purposes first and foremost in your life. And if you will do that, you will have the most incredible year that you've ever had in your life. Because it's all about keeping first the kingdom of God and living in right relationship, his righteousness, living in right relationship with him. And then he said, all this other stuff that you need, don't worry, I'll take care of it. But it's about putting first things first. And then last year, I was, as I was praying, God said, you have to help them to understand how to live daily. They have to learn how to live eternally. Now, I want you to hear this because I'm going to make some very poignant statements this morning that I want you to grab a hold of. One of the greatest difficulties that we have as Christians, we live life temporally. Some of us in this room, we live our life from our eight to five. Some of us in this room, we live our life in a 40-day work week. Some of this room, stay-at-home moms, stay-at-home dads, you live this life getting your kids up, getting your kids fed off to school, getting them for lunch, getting them for dinner. That's your life. And none of these things are wrong, but as Christians, we miss the big picture because we are temporal thinkers instead of eternal thinkers. And if we want to have the victory that Jesus died to give us, we have to change our thinking. No, this is not a psychological class this morning. Not a psychiatric class. This is a biblical class where I'm going to help you to understand the reason that the disciples could have such victory facing such horrific things is because they lived eternally, not temporally. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, look what it says. He has made all things beautiful in its time. Say that with me. He has made all things beautiful in its time. Now, that should give you pause to stop and think, what does that mean in its time? You ever heard of the story of the ugly duckling? Okay, the ugly swan. This little swan and this little duckling started out, you know, just kind of a, kind of a, you know, just an ugly thing. But it turned into the most beautiful creature on the lake. You might be going through things. You might be facing things. You might be living things right now. You said, how in the world can God bring beauty out of this ugliness? God said, in my time, I make everything beautiful. But there's a perspective in thought. Look what he said. And I want you to grab these two because they are pertinent, okay? And I've, I've put this up on the screen out of the, the AMPC. Some of you, what the heck is that? That is the amplified, the original amplified Bible. They have a new version. This is the classic version. Okay, so that's what that means. And I put this in there purposely because I wanted you to see what he said. He said, I make all things beautiful in its time. And then look at the phrase that he added right with it. And I planted eternity in the hearts of men's and their minds. And the hearts and minds. Okay, so if God, let's stop and think about that. Look at me real quick. If God is making everything beautiful, how many think everything when God says it means everything? You think that's a pretty fair observation? He said, I'm making everything beautiful. And then he said, Right attached to it, 
and I placed eternity in your heart, does that not give you pause to think, I might be thinking wrong if I'm thinking here and now and not then and there? How many are with me this morning? That's good. I got five of you. I get the rest of you before the day is over. She knows how I made that eternal statement before the day is over? Not the temporal, before the 45 minutes is over. Okay. Getting you nervous already. Let's look at, look at, I put the amplified version because I want you to see what he means when he said, I planted eternity in the minds and the men's hearts and minds. Look what he said. I put a divinely implanted sense of purpose working through the ages, listen to this, which nothing under the sun but God alone can satisfy. Now look at this, just look at this. If I just, if I just camped on that verse and went no further, this would transition your life into eternal from temporal. He said, I'm, I'm, everything's in my hands, and I'm making everything beautiful in this time. But understand, I'm not talking about temporal. I'm talking about eternal. He said, I put eternity in your heart that you would understand that where you are, as bad as you might feel, as ugly as you might feel, as desperate, as, as uh, uh, despondent as you might feel, as long as you are in God's hands, God's taking that ugly duckling sitting in your chair, and you're going to be a beautiful swan. I'm glad I came today. I needed to hear that. Remember, faith comes by hearing. And God said, I planted that sense of purpose in your life to help you understand. Nothing in this world will fulfill you. Only me. The world is covered with pyramids. We, most notably, see the ones in Egypt. But as you know, there's over a thousand pyramids found in Central America alone. They have over 300 pyramids in China. And we notice the big four or five that are in Egypt, but there's actually over 120 pyramids in the nation of Egypt. And did you know when they did studies on each and every one of them, it seems that they all had one thing in common. They were places of preparation. They were places where the leaders of those areas, listen to this, were preparing for eternity. All around the world, God has written eternity on people's hearts. I don't care. You can call yourself an atheist. No, you're just somebody who doesn't choose to believe in the Christian religion. Okay? You can call yourself an agnostic or a Gnostic. No, not really. You're just somebody trying to figure things out. Or you figure that nothing is worth figuring out. That's all those terms mean. But yet, all around the world, thousands and thousands of these edifices were built because people knew there's something more to this life than living and dying. Even if they don't know. How, how many ever saw that movie, The Gods Must Be Crazy? No, you don't have to be embarrassed. Go ahead and raise your hand. Yes, yeah. yes, it's a strange movie. I saw it. Well, something, uh, you know, I don't remember. I saw part of it. They dropped a soda bottle out of the sky or something. Is that what it was? And hit somebody on the head. Folks, they should have killed them. But it was a movie, so it didn't happen. It's like Roadrunner and Bugs, and Bugs Bunny and all those guys. They don't always die. They, I don't understand. But anyway, 
That's a different sermon. So, But what did they do with that bottle? They began to worship it. Did you know that we are incurably religious? We're going to worship something. I'm always amazed at an atheist why they fight so hard against something that doesn't exist. It just it surprises me. They don't believe it exists. So why, why are you fighting? Just kind of move on. All of these Egypts and, and all the, uh, these pyramids and all these studies, they figured they had one thing in common. They were places of preparation. The, the leaders of those areas were preparing for eternity. And in doing such, now look at this, there was no expense, no effort, no energy spared in the preparation. The largest pyramid in Egypt was, is belonged to or owned by or whatever. The dude's name was Pharaoh Khufu. And he had the largest, the great, the great big pyramid there in Giza, Giza, belonged to the Pharaoh Khufu. And they studied and they looked at it and they figured it must have taken about 6,700 highly skilled people along with, 20, or, along with masses of, of slaves and over 20 years to build it. And the question that comes out is why did this Pharaoh and others put so much effort into building themselves a tomb? It's because they believed there was more to life than living and dying. So much so that they made preparations for tomorrow, today, for eternity while they were still walking around on this earth. Can somebody say amen? What happened? You see, God placed eternity in their hearts. God didn't place this temporal mindset that you and I live each day with. That is a product of the enemy because he wants you and I to focus on the daily grind. He wants us to focus on the us for and no more. He wants us to look at this thing. Well, if this is all the life, man, you can do all of this and then you die. Whoa. But God says, no, I'm making things beautiful. I'm building things. I'm encouraging things. I'm strengthening things. Somebody get excited in the house today. He said, but I want to change your perspective. I want you to live in view of eternity. Those Egyptians, they were pagans. But they had an incredible message. Those pyramid builders, they were pagans, most of them. But they had an incredible message for you and I that are living in the 21st century. That the time to prepare for tomorrow is today. Let's get into our notes. Number one, living in eternity or in view of eternity, it's a choice. We can live for today and tomorrow or we can live in view of eternity. That's a choice that you have. That's a choice that I have. Every time I face a situation, I have to look at it and say, okay, in the big picture, what is this going to do? What kind of difference is this going to make? I had the privilege Wednesday night of, of ministering at my, my uh, mom's memorial. Most of you know that she died uh, the end of last month, 30th of December. I saw her a couple days early and, and uh, before she died, and, and she died uh, at about 5 o'clock uh, on a Friday morning, December 30th. 
I went there, and I was a little apprehensive. I've done, folks, I've done dozens and dozens of memorials. I've done lots of things dealing with death. But you don't deal with mama every day. And so I, I'm sitting here. I'm going to officiate. I'm going to be the one. Uh, I'm the pastor in the family. Uh, all the rest of my, my ten brothers and sisters, i got a big family. They were all there. And, and I'm saying, God, I, I know mom's in heaven. So I know exactly what I have to do. Give me the wisdom and grace to do it. And I said, you know what I did? Oh, I talked about mom going home. But I spent almost the entire time telling my brothers and sisters and friends and neighbors, where are you going to spend eternity? About Jesus. Talking about Jesus. I learned a long time ago, I don't talk about God a lot. Because everybody's got a God. You talk about Jesus, it changes everything. You talk about Jesus. That's why you go to school, college, any, you can go any place. You can talk about God all you want to. God's got all kinds of names. But when you talk about Jesus, you want to get people flipped out. I am. I'm coming right along. I brought them to the brink of eternity. You see, it's fully up to you and I how we choose to live. And I want you to hear me this morning. We can live by goals. We can live by achievements. We can live by accomplishments of days, weeks, months, or even years. And folks, this is not a wrong thing. This is not a bad thing. Unless it consumes you. I've got to follow. I mean, I've got my, my five-day plan. I've got my 30-day plan. I've got my, my five-year plan. I got, that's wonderful. What happens if you die tomorrow? What do you got to plan for eternity? You see, ladies and gentlemen, the reality this morning is we can live in all these phases, the days, the weeks, the months, even years, or we can live by realizing and accepting we have to come to grips with a view of eternity. C.S. Lewis, a great uh, Christian of many, many years gone by, was, was an agnostic, massive agnostic. You could even call him close to being an atheist. He stayed, his roommate in college was a man by the name of Tolkien. You might know him with the... Uh, the uh, uh, well, the Lord of the Rings series, the movies, The Hobbit, they were roommates. And you might remember C.S. Lewis from the Narnia series, uh, the, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and all those, and all these incredible books. And he made a statement years ago, and he said, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the, the very most for the present world were exactly those who thought the most of the next. Now, I want you to think about this in light of what we're talking about in view of eternity. He said Christians who did the very most for the present world were the, exactly those who thought the most about the next. Now, I'm going to bring it home to where we are today. It is since Christians have largely forgotten, largely ceased to think about the other world that they become so ineffective in this. You see what has happened 
people, Christians included, have largely chosen to live their lives failing to realize that there's more to life than the three score and ten that Psalm chapter 90 records. That there's more to life than here and now. That life is inclusive of eternity. Everyone's going to live forever. Everyone's going to live forever. I am going to live forever. Would you say that with me? I am going to live forever. And because of this, we live a life that puts our full focus, energy, and hope on what we can achieve right here and now. This next note, I want you, it's letter B in your notes, and I want you please to hear this. And I want you to underline this. In Scripture, that was never the issue. From Genesis to Revelation, they never thought, those that followed God, those that that had a relationship with Jesus Christ, they never got caught up in the here and now. They always knew there was something more. You see, the reason the early Christians... I'm talking about those that we find from Matthew to Revelation. The reason the early Christians could face and even go through many of the struggles they did, it was because their focus was not entirely on what was. It was on what was yet to come. I've made a statement for many, many years. There is more going on than what is going on. As you read the book of Hebrews chapter 11 in what we call the faith Hall of Fame, we get down to about the 35th verse, and the Bible says that there were many who died not seeing the promise of God. There were many that died not knowing all the things that God had said he would do and would accomplish in their lives. But it says they died knowing there was a greater glory waiting. Can I tell you when you're thinking Like that, you can go through just about anything because you know you're not living in it. You're just going through it. Can somebody say amen? Amen. Let's go to 1 Peter. Flip your Bibles over to 1 Peter. We're we're all the way back uh, past James, uh, past Hebrews, right into 1 Peter. Chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. The end of all things is near. Say that with me, please. The end of all things is near. I'm reading out the New International Version. Uh, Therefore, be alert. And sober-minded. That literally means to be clear-minded and to be self-controlled. Don't let anything else control your body, control your mind, control your life. He said be clear-minded, be be self-controlled. Why? So you can pray. It's tough to pray when you don't have a clue. It's tough to pray when you're caught up in the minutia of everything that's going on. There, there's times, brothers and sisters, and I, I, I am a pastor of true confessions. There's time that I get up in the morning to go pray, and I've had a rough night because I had a rough day, probably because I had a rough week. You know, and it's not a rough thing necessarily, I, but my heart breaks for people. My heart goes out for people, and I, and I go through these different things. And every once in a while, I just get up in the morning, and I'll just say, oh, Jesus, kill me. No, I don't say that. <laughs> But I say, oh, Jesus. I I don't know what to pray sometimes because I'm so overwhelmed. But then as I pray for a little while, God starts reinvigorating me, renewing me, helping me, strengthening me, lifting me, reminding me there's more 
to life than living and dying. Look what he says here. He said, be sober-minded, be alert, be self-controlled, be clear-minded, that you can pray. And then he said, above all, love each other deeply. Why? Because love covers a multitude of sins. You know why? You don't get caught up in what everybody else is doing or what they're not doing or what they're doing to you or what they're not doing for you. It's because you love, and love covers all the inadequacies of so much going on. He said, offer hospitality to one another. Oh, how did that get in there? Without grumbling. Is that a typo in my Bible? Oh, no, it's there. there it is right there. Without grumbling. In other words, try that gift of nice. Did you know nice is a gift? Yeah. Without grumbling, each of you should use whatever gift that God has given you to serve others. Be faithful stewards of God's grace in various forms. If anyone speaks... We're not casually rambling. If anyone speaks, they should do it as if they're speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do it with the strength that God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. I think that's an interesting compilation of words and verbiages and, uh, and, and terminologies put together right following the seventh verse that says the end of all things is near. God's trying to get us to understand. I'm making everything beautiful in, in its time, but you have to understand it's about eternity, not about here and now. See, over 2,000 years ago, the disciples knew and prepared for the imminent return of the Lord. They knew that the end of all things was near even 2,000 years ago, and they viewed life from that perspective. So let me ask you, are we living with the view of eternity? Are we living as though Jesus Christ could come at any time? I ask that because, ladies and gentlemen, having a proper view of eternity drastically uh, uh, changes and affects the way you live life. Knowing that God is ultimately in control of not only our lives, but in all things pertaining to this life, will give me a strength when I'm frustrated, when I'm irritated. He will give me a comfort when I'm weak and discouraged. Why? Because I know that he's got it in his hand, that there's a picture that God is putting it all together. And Peter, as he's writing to the disciples here, he knew that fact. This is why he encouraged the saints to be prepared for the struggles by knowing it's not about here and now, it's about eternity. That life is more than the good and bad that we are living and facing today. And he did this by helping us to focus on the eternal, not the temporal. The second thing that I want to touch on living in a view of eternity, ladies and gentlemen, is a choice. We can live for today or tomorrow, or we can live for eternity. The second thing that I want to point out real quick is living in view of eternity is not easy. It will take strength. Knowing that there is something more going on than what you're facing at this moment will take strength. Whether it's good or bad. There's some people that have awesome things happen and they start living in that moment. Not a bad thing, but pretty soon you've got to move on. 
But how many know that we have a hard time letting go of the good, just like we have a hard time letting go of the bad? I've told people for years, the greatest victory, today's greatest victory will be tomorrow's greatest defeat if I choose to live in yesterday's victory. I have to move on. Living with a view of eternity will take strength. Look what Peter said in verse 7. He said, the end of all things is near. Now, to fully understand what he is talking about here, I have to go back to the beginning of the fourth chapter because it'll give me a perspective on why he has taken me this direction in all the things that he says between verses 2 and 7, or between verses 7 and, and uh, uh, 11 in your notes. Look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. He says these words, Since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves with the same attitude. Okay, look at me. What is he saying? Jesus suffered. You and I are going to be on a bed of roses? Piece of pie? He said, you need to develop the same attitude. Jesus suffered. Jesus struggled. Jesus had frustrations. Arm yourself with the same attitude. Because he who has suffered in the body... Folks, this, this, here, this is worth the price of admission. He who has suffered in his body is done with sin. What is he saying? He that understands that this life is not going to be a piece of cake can deal with sin like it's nothing. Are you with me? Jesus looked at all of it. You say, well, that's Jesus. He dwells in us. All the power of heaven and earth he gave to us when he said, go and preach the gospel in all the world. As a result, they do not live the rest of their lives for evil human desires. They don't live the rest of their life because they know it's not about the temporal. And then the last phrase there, but rather for the will of of God. I said I was going to make some profound statements. Second one that I want to make here is most Christians need an attitude adjustment. We've gone to churches, we've listened to TV preachers, we've followed movements that tell us, well, you know, when you become a Christian, God's going to give this, God's going to give that, God's going to do this. When I read my Bible, God said, I'm going to, yeah, grace, blessing, provision. I'm going to take care of all that stuff. But it won't be without cost. You see, too many think living the Christian life is about what we can get. But not what it will cost. Now, I know this isn't popular preaching. But this is the difference between living today or living eternally. It's a difference. You may not be getting stuff today and be easy to give up on God. Why? Because you're living in the here and now, not the then and there. You're focused on what I have right now, not what I'm going to have in the future. Am I making sense this morning? He said, too many many think that living a Christian life is about what we can get, 
not about what it's going to cost. Yes, we will get grace, we will get blessing, we will get provision, and we'll go enjoy all of God's promises, but it won't be without cost. See, the cost aspect is why we need the strength. We're here to have the attitude that Christ had, who was willing to suffer. He said, Father, in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but thy will be done. He said, God, Father, I'm not sure I want to do this. You see my disciples out there? They're all asleep. I asked them, could you just pray for me for one hour? Could you just pray? And what they do, they fell asleep. How many of you ever went to meant, meant to pray and you just zonked out? Folks, you don't need any, any sleeping sedatives. Just start praying. You want to really go to sleep fast? Try to read your Bible when you get to bed. I mean, some of the great. Jesus said, Dad, you know, I asked. I'm going to the cross. And I asked them to pray. And they went to sleep. I went and woke them up. I said, guys, it's kind of a serious moment. Okay, I'm going to go over here and pray. Will you pray? You don't have to walk with me. Just pray. So he goes away. And the Bible says he's praying so so earnestly. And he's praying so, uh, I mean, vehemently. And so that it's like a great, great drops of blood are dripping from his brow. He walks back. And he said, they're sleeping again. And he said, go ahead and sleep. It's time. Now, we pass right over that passage. But you know what Jesus was saying? He said, guys, I already made my resolve over there. It doesn't matter what I face over there. Because I know I'm going there. Come on, somebody get excited. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The strength factor I believe comes from a couple different things, and I have them in your notes. Number one is folks we don't understand today. We really don't. I'm talking about Christians. If you're here and you're not a Christian, most of this message will go right over your head. But when we're done, hopefully you'll become a Christian. Most people, and I say this as Christians, we really don't understand today. We don't understand what it means to live a Christian life. We think, well, you know, yeah, it's going to be a little bit of an irritation, but you know what? Everybody's going to love me. Do you know the number one persecuted religion, I use that word loosely in the world, is Christians? Number one. And you know who's going to their, to their fight? Almost nobody. Almost nobody. Why? Jesus said in that day, they hated me, they're going to hate you. Persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. They killed me. See, we've got to understand this thing about eternity and in doing so, it'll give us strength. But we don't really understand today. Look what Paul wrote to Timothy. In, in uh, 2 Timothy, we find it, chapters 2, verses 4 through 6. He said, Timothy, you want to understand how to be victorious as a Christian? You've got to become like a soldier. You've got to become like an athlete. You've got to become like a farmer. Folks, some, those are some of the hardest working and hardest disciplined people in the world. What Jesus was given the disciples was a picture of how to make it from here to there, from now to then, from the temple to the eternal. He said, I want to prepare you. I'm given my life. And eternity will cost your life as well. That's the first thing. We don't understand today. And because we don't understand today, part two is we really don't prepare for tomorrow. 
Now I'm going to change streets here for just a quick second. This is the reason we have a wrong understanding of eschatology. Eschatology is just basically the study or the view of the end times, the times before the Lord returns. A proper understanding of eschatology is what helps you and I as believers when we go through things. It helps us of the things we are persecuted with then, persecuted now, and persecuted on our life. That God has more. He's making everything beautiful. And he said, I got to get you focusing on the eternity I wrote in your hearts. There was a missionary that was coming back from several tours of duty in overseas. And he happened to be on a boat where there was a very prominent agnostic, a secularist that was challenging him. They were on their way back to New York. After this missionary had served all of these... uh, tours, and they were on the, on the way back, and this secularist found out he was a missionary and serving in the mission field, and he began to deride him over and over and over. He said, look around the ship. There's nobody paying attention to you. Not a single person even knows who you are or what you've done. And he said that right there should give you a sign that apparently no one considers your efforts valuable and your whole life has been wasted. That missionary stopped, and he looked at that secularist, that agnostic, and he said, yeah, but I'm not home yet. Well, the agnostic assumed the missionary was referring to some large crowd waiting to meet him at the ship. But when they docked at New York Harbor, the agnostic saw not a single person was waiting for the missionary as he disembarked, and he scoffed at him. He said, not a solitary person. And the missionary stood up straight and he looked at the secularist, the agnostic. He said, hey, I'm not home yet. The missionary jumped on a train. The loneliest train he'd ever rode from the harbor of New York to a small Midwest hometown. Reaching his destination, He could no longer fight back the tears. Not a single person was waiting. He burst into tears. Just then, the voice of glory split that eastern sky and said, Son, you're not home yet. Folks, we got to get a different perspective. You will deal with so fewer things if you'll begin to live in view of eternity. Folks, take no, no doubt, it takes strength to live a Christian life. That's why John told the disciples, or Jesus told the disciples in John 14, he said, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe in me also. In my Father's house, there's many rooms or many mansions He said, if it wasn't so, I I would have told you. But look what he said. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I'm going to do that, guess what that means? I'm going to come back and get you and take you home with me. Can somebody say amen? The third thing I want to look at just quickly this morning 
is living in a view of eternity will change your entire perspective of life and time. When Peter wrote this almost 2,000 years ago, and he said, the end is near. You know what he was literally saying? There is nothing keeping Jesus from returning at any moment. This was the early churches and our, what we call the blessed hope. And it was that blessed hope that helped them to endure the struggles that they were experiencing in the world, knowing that Jesus could return at any time. Titus chapter 2, verses 12 through 13, look what it says here. We're instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world, listen, with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. Why? Because we are looking for that wonderful day. That wonderful day is that blessed hope when our great God and Savior Jesus Christ will return and appear. Ladies and gentlemen, even though it's been 2,000 years since this was written, this is true for today as it ever was been. And as a matter of fact, it's even more real. You know why? We're so much closer to his return. When Jesus resurrected, we entered into what is called the final days, the last days of human history. And society is immersed in it today. All you got to do, folks, as you read the Bible, I could take you into James. I could take you further into Peter. I could take you into Ephesians. I could take you throughout the scripture where the Bible says, as that day approaches, everybody will start denying things. Do you know what I just, they got a brand new study out that just came out a couple weeks ago where they're now denying the exodus. Oh, they've talked about They've talked about, well, this exodus was this way and it was that way. Yeah, there was something that happened. Now they're just bald-faced to die in it. It never happened. And they're trying to get it to catch mainstream society. Do you know why? If they can destroy your past hope, they'll destroy your blessed hope, your future hope. Well, you know, I... You know, these are really smart people. Really? Folks, I got all kinds of degrees. That don't make me smart. Don't say anything. In Acts chapter 1, it says, In the past, God spoke through our forefathers, through the prophets. But in these last days, he speaks to us through his son. Acts chapter 2 says, In the last days, God will pour out his spirit on all people. You know, I talked about the number one persecuted religion in the world is Christianity. Do you know the number one religion in the world is getting saved? The Muslims. All over the world, there is a power of God. Do you know that's a fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham, Sarah, Ishmael, and Hagar? God told them, I'm going to make you a mighty nation, and I'm not going to forget you. Muslims are coming in droves. You read the, you read the, it's in regular newspapers. You read, Jesus is actually appearing to them. All over the world. But let me tell you about the last days. Because even though it's a wonderful place to live, 
there are a couple things that I see that because we're in the last days, that is running rampant, and these are improper views of the end times, and they push people to extremes, and we've all seen them, okay? Number, number one is that people become lazy. They start doing nothing. They start becoming busybodies, proclaiming how right they are and how wrong everybody else saw in review of God's return. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 11. He, Paul is telling the church of Thessalonica, he said, guys, Jesus hasn't came back, and he's not coming back right this moment. So get yourselves to work. Look what he says. We hear that some of you are idle. You're living idle. You're refusing to work. Often meddling in other people's lives and other people's activities. The second thing that I see is people are consumed with date setting. They're trying to figure out the day and the hour. Even though Jesus himself said, no one knows the day or hours. Acts chapter 1, verse 6 through 11. He said, the disciples asked, Lord, are you going to return your kingdom to Israel at this time? And look what Jesus' response to them. It's not for you to know the times and dates that my father has set by his own authority. He is standing outside of, of, uh, of, of uh, Mary and Martha's town, Bethany, and he is preparing to ascend into heaven. And he's telling them, guys, he said, folks, just go do what I said to do. Don't worry about the dates and times. Just go do and know that I am returning. And the Bible says he was taken up into the clouds. And I can picture the disciples. They're just standing there. What do we do now? He's gone. Look at me, folks. You might be struggling. You might have difficulties. And it might be Jesus. You feel like Jesus is everywhere but with you. No, he's not. He's right there. And every once in a while, he'll send a still small voice and say, just go do what I said. He'll tap you on the shoulder and say, just get up. Just get up and start doing something. And I'll be with you, even to the ends of the earth. That's what the angels came back. Remember at there at the 11th verse? He said, two angels stood with him. Two men in white garments stood next to them. I think that would be safe to say those are angels. And he said, guys, just like he went away, he's coming back. Do you know the Lord? The Bible talks more about Jesus' return from Genesis to Revelation than it does about his first coming? It talks more about the resurrection. It talks more about his return and his coming back for you and I than him coming the first time. Do you know why? He wants us to live in a view of eternity. These extremes are having a wrong view of the end times. They negatively affect. That's why I tell people, stop looking for the Antichrist and keep your eyes set on Jesus Christ. Others have a proper view of the end times. What is a proper view? Jesus was speaking through John the Apostle in 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. He said, dear friends, now we are the children of God. And it does not yet appear what we're going to be like, but when we see him, we know we're going to be like him. And everyone that has this hope in himself purifies himself. In other words, he lives a separated life. He lives with a life knowing that there's more than just getting my degree. There's more than just getting a promotion. There's more than just getting a wife or a husband or kids. There's more to this. All of those things are wonderful. All of those things are good, but there's more to life. It's called eternity.
You see, ladies and gentlemen, when we separate ourselves from the desires of this world and we begin to separate ourselves to the desires of the relationship of our Lord, it is then that we are preparing for his coming. I'm going to ask the worship team to come as we close this morning. The difficult task for the believer is to, at all times, at all times, prepare for the future. And at the same time, and at the same time, prepare for Jesus to come. This is a balance that we live in an unbalanced world, in a confused world. Colossians chapter 3 says it this way, since you have been raised to life in Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ is. Think about the things that are in heaven, not the things of this earth, because you have been raised with him. You have died to this world and you have been raised with God. And when Christ, who is your life, when Christ who is your life. Can I say it again? When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, you'll be able to share in his glory. You see, Peter is encouraging all he is writing to. Believers are being mocked, ridiculed, and burned at the stake while Peter is writing this book but he gives them comfort he said guys the end of all things are near the end of all things we may not see everything that God's promised in this life that's why he says don't focus on the here and now get your eyes and your heart and your mind on eternity he said Christ is coming soon and soon he's going to judge the righteous and the unrighteous he is going to correct all things that time is near in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 9 the Bible says these words I has not seen nor ear heard neither has it entered the heart of a man the things that God has prepared for those that love him God is going to make everything beautiful in his time And he said, folks, remember, it's about eternity, not the temporary. Some of the struggles that we face today will change when we begin to see them in view of eternity. In John 16, Jesus said these words. The time is coming, and it's even here now, when all of you are going to be scattered, each one to their own. And you're going to leave me all alone. Do you feel alone today? Your struggles, the difficulties, you wonder where the heck God's at. Jesus, did you really say I'm going to face this? Once again, we don't understand today very well. And sadly, most of us, the only Bible reading we get is Sunday morning. It's really hard to know the victories. 45 minutes it's really hard that's why it's a daily walk he said the time is coming and now is it you're all going to scatter and you're going to leave me all alone but look what he said 
but I'm not alone. He said, my father's with me. What he literally was saying there, he said, the time is coming where you're all going to give up. Frustration, aggravation, all the different things. And you're going to go back to what you know. How many have ever just started going back to what you were comfortable with just because things were going bad? You go back to struggle after, or you go back to the things that you knew worked right when things weren't working. Look what Jesus said. He said, you're going to leave me all alone, but I'm not alone. And then look what the next line says. I told you this, that you in me could have peace. Folks, we're going to deal with stuff here. That's why God said, I'm making it all beautiful in my time. On this earth, you're going to have struggles. But be of good cheer. Take heart. Because I've overcame the world. And when I live in that perspective, do you know what? Nothing can take me down. Because he's forever building me up. Can anybody say amen? Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning, would you? God, we thank you. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed just for a moment. God, we thank you. God, that you have put eternity in our hearts. God, help us live in view of that still small voice, that, that tugging, that certainty that we have inside that really it is all going to be all right. God, it doesn't feel like it. God, there's some here in the sound of my voice. God, it don't feel like it for them. But God, as you have told us in your word over and over, if we're dealing with a problem, if we just lift our eyes a little bit up, we'll see your promise is still there. And your promise is still that you're not going to let us go through anything we can't handle. But with every situation, you're going to make a way to escape. God, this morning, help us to live in view of eternity. Help us, Lord, to stop looking at what's right in front of our face and realize there's a lot more going on. Why this is happening, we may not know today. And Lord, we may never know. But we do know, God, that you're working all things together for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. A perspective of eternity, a view of eternity. Pastor Tim Masters with this week's message on the Destined to Win podcast. Destined to Win is made possible with the prayerful and financial support of those destined to win. To donate online, visit vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Destined to Win is a production of Victorious Life Christian Center with services Sunday mornings at 10 at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. 
I'm Joe Harding. For Pastor Tim Masters and the congregation at Victorious Life Christian Centers, you're invited to join us here next week for another edition of the Destined to Win podcast. We are-